I was thinking of um, someone, they were on Skype, and they said that uh, they, will, they were always called like the, the, uh, it's the grandmother that is on Skype, you know, and that's one of those computer things where you can talk to your kids. And she always inevitably turns the computer, pushes the computer back, and all you can see is the top of her head, you know. And, and the, the person she's talking to will call their brother or relative that's ne- next door and say, go over and fix the computer so we can see her. <laughs> and uh, so he'll run over and pull the computer and say, I can't, I'm going to figure this out. And they say, see this little picture in the corner? And that's what they see whenever it's on the, on the camera. He says, well, I never saw that before. Uh-huh. Because you had it above your head, you know? And the only thing they showed was the top of your head. So fortunately, the family knew that there was more to mother than what appears. <laughs> there is more to the picture than what you see. And I was thinking of the, the title of this message today, There's More to You, There's More to God Than What We Perceive and What We See. There's more than what we see. So imagine answering the doorbell and being handed a special delivery letter. And as you open this letter, you begin to read that you could have the opportunity of a lifetime that will change your life forever. And all it takes is that you will take this information and submit a resume, a complete detail of who you are. And as you submit this, you have a very good chance of quadrupling your salary, your yearly income, of tremendous bonuses and opportunities for advancement. But you must look at the application, and as the application states, that you must submit a thorough identity check of who you are. So, what would you send? (laughs) What would you send in this resume that says they want to know you, they want a personal resume of your life. And with this, you submit it to an office, and you will have the opportunity to take on this job that will quadruple, plus have all the bonuses and so on. So generally, whenever we think of this, okay, you're going to put together a resume. Well, first of all, you got to put a picture on it. (laughs) So you rummage through the photographs and say, I better go get a professional one done, okay? The swimsuit one isn't one you want to put in there, okay? <laughs> so anyhow, you know, you, you go to the professional photographer and you, get your, you know, get your best foot forward, best picture forward. So you prepare, you prepare this resume because they want to know you completely. So there's lengthy details recording your education, your career, because, you know, if we look at a resume, we generally want to, we want to have an, an outline. We want to have an outline of what people do. You want a career history. You want, excuse me, your civic and church activities, things that you were done. You, you worked at sports camp at church. <laughs> you know, put that on a resume. And um, what else? You might want to put on there your your noticeable accomplishments of what you've been able to do over the years, offices held in these organizations, honors and awards received and promotions that you may have had, and of course, most importantly, 
you want a few glowing letters from friends and your pastor. Amen? All right, so if you want a good report, you better show up at sports camp, okay? <laughs> so, you send this off, you send off your packet of information, and you sit back and with a contented smile, you know what, I think I got this job. <laughs> I, I got this job, you know? It's just something that's going to fit who I am and what I've been praying about, and guess what? The application comes back incomplete. This is an incomplete resume. You see, the packet tells what you look like. The packet tells how well you have performed and tells what you have achieved, but you haven't told much to us about who you are. See, there's a difference between what we do and how we are. Now, it, it seems like, well, they're both the same. Well, yes, they are similar, and they are the, in, in some ways they are the same, but, you know, this is a very hard concept to, to, to uh, grasp, I think, because I'm more of a idea, you know, factual, you know. I remember when I mentioned this in Sunday school, um, Whenever we did the Ornish training, you know, the hospital sent me out to California for a week, you know, and we were in this nice hotel, and, but we, went, we were busy, you know, 14 hours a day doing all the different trainings and attending seminars and all that stuff. And um, Newt Gingrich was there that, that week. And in the local newspaper, they had Newt Gingrich attends Fat Farm. <laughs> You know, you know, it was one of those things. So I got to see him, get my picture taken with him and all that stuff. But one of the things that they were trying to train us with this heart disease reversal program was that in group support, you sat in this group, now not group therapy, group support, and they asked us to participate. And so, of course, you know, I was picked on by the leader to start off. Well, tell us about, tell us about what you feel. And I said, well, I think I feel that, you know, no, he says, that's not right. I mean, tell us, he says, tell us about how you're feeling. I says, well, I think, I, I think that I feel good. To, he says, that's not right. I was getting pretty mad because I didn't get the memo. You know, <laughs> I was getting upset and I started to think, well, ask him. <laughs> Let him start. No, no, we're, you know, you're the guinea pig. And I said, so, so tell us how you're feeling. And I said, well, I think. And he said, no. This is a feeling, not a thought. Tell us what you feel. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> he did, you know. <laughs> and so we look at things, and sometimes, for me, you know, this was a very difficult concept, but yet an easy concept, once you knew what they were asking for. Because if we, for people who are, more say, thinking that knowledge and feelings are the same thing, they're not. Knowledge and feelings are not the same. Feelings are one thing, knowledge is another. Now, feelings are important. We, without feelings, there's no life. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Scriptures tell us that. Meaning that knowledge will kill you. <laughs> you know? 
You know, knowledge, because what it does, it makes life an intellectual ascent without any relational experiences. We are relational beings. We have feelings, no matter how much we try and negate them, we feel certain things. I feel hot. (laughs) I feel that the bench is hard. You know, that's not a, I think I feel the bench is hard. Well, is it or isn't it? (laughs) I think I feel I think I feel hot. It's like jumping into a swimming pool. I think I feel wet. Huh? (laughs) No, it's just, I feel wet. You see? So I feel wet. I feel uh, hurt. I feel discouraged. I feel... So there are feelings. But we cannot live our life by feelings because feelings is just, you know, I feel offended, so therefore I'm... No. I feel that God doesn't love me. Wait a minute that contradicts the knowledge that we have of his word. So when the feelings are there, we have to make sure that the anchor is in place, and the anchor is knowing. The knowing that we have anchors the feelings. I always did this in counseling, you know, because most of the time, most, not always, this is a, um, this is a, It's something, I'll tell you what it is. Anyhow, (laughs) there is this understanding that we have men are more, men are more, now dominantly, but not always, okay? That's not always. Men are more factual, women are more emotional, okay? That is a generalization. That's the word I was looking for. A generalization. It is not always that way. Sometimes it's reversed, but it's, you know, but in a generalization, Men are more factual, women are more emotional. So here we go, coming together, coming together, coming together, coming together, coming together, going apart, going apart, going apart. Totally missed it. (laughs) What happened? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. (laughs) Okay. Where did you come from? Venus, where did you come from, Mars? We're on two different levels, but the reason that we function so well together is that Knowledge and facts anchor the emotions, and emotions help give life to the facts. So, therefore, we find ourselves merging together, one and the other. Now, in our, there's more to you than what you see when you look in the mirror. There is more to God than what we think we know. Because we know about God, but if there is not this understanding, emotional understanding of God, it's kind of lax. Now, when I think of, um, I've been writing my book on grief, and for those of you who are watching by television, I can tell you that it's going to be on sale soon. No, it isn't. <laughs> I'm not done with it yet. But I, no, I, am, I have got to end to a conclusion, but it's got to be rewritten for the fourth time that I've been doing this. But in grief, the, if we were just factual beings, all of our grief and all of our sorrow would be done at the cemetery. If we were factual beings, the not getting a job, not getting the promotion, not going on that 
place or, you know, not making the team for kids trying out for a team, not making the team, even, you know, for adults. All those are losses. And you see, if we were factual beings, the, when the no is there, there would be no response. Okay, we're off. But for kids going to college, being rejected from a particular school, not fitting into a profession, there is a sense of failure. That's a feeling. And what happens is that knowledge, if we were just knowledge, we would be done with grieving at the cemetery. Why? Because the person is dead. I'm going home and life is going on. But there is an emotional response. How long did it take to learn to live with the person? I'm still learning. <laughs> She's still learning. But we're, we're, we're making some progress. It's only been about 80 years, but we're making some progress. No, 42, right? Am I right? 42. I got that right. See, I got, I got some. Hey, he's right on. 42 years. No. June 24th this year, and we were born. We were born. <laughs> We were married in 1972, June 24th. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, first time. See what happens? Emotions, frustrations. Emotions do not dictate our life. They are part of our life. You know, uh, the illustration, one of the illustrations I use in my book uh, is, and I got a lot of these little McGeeisms, hopefully, is anchors will, an anchor will hold the ship in place, but it doesn't calm the sea. We have knowledge that something has happened, a loss has exp- that we have experienced, but we, have, we still have the emotional upheavals that take us up and down and up and down. Those are the emotions. Well, if I could just get rid of the emotions, I wouldn't have all this problem. Well, if you can get rid of all your emotions, you're dead. <laughs> Why? Because you have no life in your actions. But if you're just an emotions, you're an emotional roller coaster, you're an emotional wreck, you're an emotional... Ever hear those words? Emotional wreck? Well, you know, we, Terry and Judy on the way to church this morning, they came very close to an inches with a, a wreck because somebody was going through a red light and forgot that it was red. <laughs> and, you know, squealing of tires, and they're just down the road here. There, somebody did have the wreck, you know. But uh, so the facts and the emotions, they're both, they're both together in our life, and we cannot eliminate them. I wish the knowledge of this rejection, the knowledge of this experience would just go away. It won't. It won't go away. And so you've got to learn that there is emotions and there are facts. Now, if you look at your resume, what is it containing? It's probably saying, telling, telling who you are, what you have done, but there's more to you than a list of things that you accomplish. So, imagine coming to church. Don't have to imagine very long because you're already here, <laughs> okay? So imagine coming to church and, God, and I give you a packet that says, this is a 
resume, you know, God is wanting to make an application to your life. So tell us about God. So give us a resume that God might submit to you. All you have to do is identify God in your life. That's all you have to do. Identify God. Okay. How are you going to identify God in your life? Any ideas? Blessings. So, what he does. Miracle. He saved me from my sins. Okay? How are you going to identify God? What do we use to identify God? The work of God in our life. You believe in God? I sure do. Then tell me how to recognize him. <laughs> well, I... How do you recognize God? Oh, he loves me. How does he do that? I think I feel loved. <laughs> I think that God loves me. Is that an action or is that an action or a feeling? Is that a knowing or a feeling? And you see that God is with us. What does that look like? God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Okay? Everybody say, God has promised never to leave me nor forsake me. What does that look like? <laughs> what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his, I'm his own. Okay, we just sang it. What does that look like? You see, we have a hard time putting that into a picture that is capable of being realized in our everyday life. Well, what does pastor look like? Well, I can tell you he's bald, he's fat, and he wears a red shirt. And Jackson wants me to shave my beard, and uh, he wears glasses. Okay, so what, what does pastor look like? But you see, what who I am, who you are, is more than what you look like. So you find that when we are looking at God, <clears throat> excuse me, when we're looking at God, he is more than just an accumulation of things that he's done. That we must look beyond the rearranging of circumstances in order to prove, okay? It's like um, the, you know, the movie... Um, the passion. They bring, they haul Christ before um, the local governor. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a drunker. And it's, um, who is it? Uh, I'm trying to think. I'll think of it. Anyhow, they haul, they haul him before the, this drunk. It's not Pilate. It's the other guy. Nero? Nero? Uh, but anyhow, not Nero. Herod. They haul him before Herod. And Herod's this, you know, he's a partying guy, you know, and he basically is telling Jesus, uh, you know, and there he's questioning, is this, this is Jesus? You know, he don't look like God to me. Can you do a little miracle for me? You know, will you just do a little miracle for me? What is he trying to do? He's trying to get God to prove something to him, that he is God. The Pharisees, the ones who 
wanted Jesus dead. They go to the cross and they say, well, if you're really the Messiah, come down off of there. Do a little miracle for us. If you're really the God, then do a little miracle. What, as we look at our relationship with God, do we look for the knowledge that says, why don't you do a little miracle for us? Then we'll know. But five years from now, God, will you do another little miracle so that we know? Then six months from then, we, God, will you do a little miracle for us because? And when God stops doing the miracles, do we stop our belief? <laughs> God is more than just actions. He's more than just the miraculous, the rearranging of circumstances. God is a personal being, a personal person who wants, who has feelings, who has character traits, who has the ability to be rejected and turned aside or the ability to be accepted and brought into our life. So the character of God is such that he is more than just what we know because the Pharisees, they kept all the Ten Commandments. Even those who came to Jesus said, Jesus, you know, I'm pretty good. You should do a little miracle for me because I've kept all the commandments since I was a kid. I've done them all. <laughs> so you can, you can think of me as being proud. You know, I'm proud of who I am. Look at what I have done. But is that, is that really who we are? If you had to sell everything, what would that leave you? What would that leave you? What kind of person would that leave you with? So if we took away everything that we had, if we took away all of the fancy clothes and the cars that we have and the place that we live and, you know, the money in the bank and the money coming in, you know, through jobs and whatever, and all, if you took away all of those things, who would we be? That's the person that Jesus loves. That's the person that God loves. So if we took away the miraculous, we took away the walking on the water, the feeding of 5,000, we took away all of that that he did, what would we be left with? That's the character of God. That is, our under, that is the person of God that we love and who loves us. So he looks beyond faults and failures, good things, bad things, you know, too fat, too skinny, too tall, too small, you know, no beard, big beard, whatever. He looks beyond all of those things, strips them away, and leaves us standing there as a person and says to us, I love you. I love you. So if we were submitting a resume to identify us then take away all of the things that we've done, all the education, all of the uh, promotions, all of the incomes, all of the jobs we've done, everything of our life, take it all away, and there we stand. How would we write a resume for that person? I gave Jose about 20 scriptures that we're supposed to read, but I didn't get to them yet. 
and I don't think I'm going to. This is going to be a continuation. Part one of a series of 500. It's almost like Wednesday night in Bible study. We're going through the book of James, and we can get through that for those five chapters in maybe seven months. <laughs> because we talk about anything and everything. It doesn't have to be on the scripture text. It can be in, come from the text, but it can be whatever's going on in our life because what is going on in our life is more important than we're going to finish this book in three days. <laughs> I'm going to, the beatings will continue until the attitude changes. <laughs> Let's hang them. It'll teach them a lesson. <laughs> Let's beat them till they can't sit. Then they'll know we mean it. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you down. <laughs> any, other, any, any other ones? Any other those, those thoughts, you know, growing up? I brought you into this world and I can take you out. <laughs> Anybody been told that? Anybody used those phrases on other people? Yeah. What are the things, you know? We look at that and is, what are we trying to do? We're trying to manipulate actions. Because if we can manipulate actions, we can get them going in the right direction, and then we can make sure they're fit for what they need to be doing. How do we manipulate God? We manipulate God by saying, I believe he will do this for me. Why? I got faith. I got faith. I can get God to do anything I want because I believe. But belief is more than here. Belief is something that is here in our heart. Not, it's more than just something in our head. I know that the Bible says I can move mountains if I believe. If I have faith as a grain of mustard seed, I can say to this mountain, jump, and it will jump. So therefore, I know that if I say it, God will listen to what I have to say and jump that mountain right out of, right out of the way. I know that. Okay. Why would God want to do that for you? Because I told him what he should do. I know what he wants me to do, and I know that mountain's supposed to be out of the way. Well, let me ask you this. If you sat down <laughs> in your chair, and Jesus were sitting right there beside you, what would he want you to do? What would he want you to say? What would he want you to feel? And from this relationship, what would he want you to know? <laughs> he would want us to know if that mountain moves or doesn't move, you're okay, you're safe. I'm with you, you're with me. And moving mountains and rearranging things is not what I'm here for. I'm here with you to love you without any mountains being moved, without any lists of accomplishments by you. 
I'm here to love you, to know you, to keep you. And in that relationship, if that mountain needs moved, it's out of here. (laughs) In that relationship, you need to walk on water? No problem. But God doesn't walk on water because I tell him to. He doesn't want me to walk on water unless he asks me to. Let me demonstrate to you my faith. Let me walk, bring out, you know, bring out walk. I'm going to walk on water here for you, and I'm going to demonstrate to you my faith. I can rearrange, I can part this water in, in, you know, because God wants to prove to you that I'm a good person. Guess what? The water's not parting. The water's not going to part, and I'm not going to walk on water, and I'm not going to walk across the pews, <laughs> you know, I, because... That does, what does it prove? God isn't here to prove that he is God. God is here for us to know that he is God. And the knowing begins in our heart. And I guess this comes, this whole scenario, and then, I'm gonna, then I'll be done. This whole scenario is, comes from a, an individual that we are, in, Rhonda and I are in contact with, that the illness has come back in their life and probably will kill them, take their life. And the question is, where's the relationship at with God? Oh, I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven, but just back up for a little bit. And my suggestion was, take communion every day because I, I, I read somebody else or heard somebody else speak about this, and I thought, what a wonderful thing to do. It was, um, who's the person on TBN that headed it up? The, the lady? Anyhow, it's the lady. And she talked about how that her illness was such that they had given up, and she talked about how that she had gone every day and took communion and just focused on being in the presence of God. In the presence of God, everything changes. And that's where I want us to focus on. Being in the presence of God, everything changes. Whether I live or whether I die, whether the mountain is moved or not, whether the seas part or I have to get a boat and go across, (laughs) God is with me and I am safe because I know it in my heart. And when I know it in my heart, I know that God can speak to me and say, David, you can walk on water. David, in your heart, I, you, can, you can say to that mountain, go, and it's gone. But I'm not directing him. I am allowing him to speak. And that is where our greatest faith is. God wants to speak to our hearts. He wants to hold us in his arms. He wants us to know that we are safe. Our sins are forgiven. Eternity in heaven is our home. And I am with you, David, every step of the way. It's in that place, it's in that place of presence of God, I can say to mountains, be moved. No problem.
because I know that that's what God wants to do in my life. This is where we are at. God wants to do things in our life. Not to prove that we have faith, but to let us know he is God. He is sovereign above everything. He has a purpose for our life. And nothing, nothing, in this purpose that God has for our life, nothing will ever be able to separate us from his love. Nothing will ever be able to stop that love from coming to us. Nothing will ever be able to come between us because I am safe in the arms of my Father and he loves me and that's who God is and God is that real to me if he wants me to and needs me to, I can walk on water. But until that day comes, I'm getting the boat. <laughs> Shall we stand? So there's more to us, there's more to God than just a list of facts. Take away everything, all the accomplishments, all of the things that we've done, all the education, all of the degrees, all of the awards, take them all away, and what are we left with? That's who God loves. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the assurance. Thank you for the knowing in our heart that you are here, you are with us, your grace is sufficient. Your mercy is everlasting. And Lord, we are grateful that you love us. You love me for being me. Amen? God loves me for being me. Let's say that. God loves me for being me. You don't have to be anybody else but you. Next Sunday, church starts at 10 o'clock. <laughs> 10 o'clock. Church starts at 10 o'clock. Yes. An anniversary tomorrow. Who got married? Scott and Paula. Hey. Hey, Scott, did you remember that? Doing okay. Good, good, good one. <laughs>